I'm fired up to be back. I'm fired up to talk some football. We're going to do college football today. We'll do a lot of NFL leading into the league start as well. So it's going to be a lot of, a lot of football here. So I missed out on some summer basketball. I apologize. I appreciate uh, the downloads and people checking out the author stuff that we did. So here is the plan for today. Bruce Feldman, Fox Sports and The Athletic and Booger McFarland, ESPN. They talk a ton of college football, get their thoughts on all the top teams, maybe some sleepers, some of the players. And also with Bruce, uh, the Alliance announcement from the Big Ten, ACC and Pac-12. You can probably guess that I wasn't a huge fan of what I thought was kind of a PR thing, but we'll get to that. And life advice, also going abroad with Rosillo. I went to Switzerland for a week. We'll talk about that with the guys. And we're going to open it up with NFL QBs as NBA players. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Okay, let's do this. Uh, I got the creative juices working. I've done this before. I don't know if Saruti will remember. I've, I've done this before, you know, so I don't know if I'm ripping it off from anybody, I'm ripping it off from myself because I've seen other people do it as well. So I wanted to do it again. That is NFL quarterbacks as NBA players. So are you ready? Okay, here we go. Matthew Stafford, Kevin Garnett. Wait a minute. You're going to be kidding me. All right, look. Matthew Stafford has never been as good in his league as Kevin Garnett has been in his. Kevin Garnett's the better player, the more accomplished player, um, without question. But there's a storyline here, and these are kind of the rules. Some of it's storylines, some of it's comparable numbers. It's really my creation here, so it's kind of my rules. So I'm just going to have to follow along. Um, but I believe the way KG was appreciated far more, not only by a city, but by the league when he went to Boston and started winning, is going to be similar to what we have with Stafford. Now, I'm not guarantee, uh, guaranteeing a Super Bowl in year one for Stafford and the Rams, but I believe you're going to see Stafford this year with LA and go, oh, wait, like he is really good. All right, because let's go back to KG's career. The first seven years he was in the postseason, he lost in the first round. Think about what we would do to KG today. <laughs> Again, it's not like it was in the 30s when this was happening. But that's still pretty rough. Seven straight playoff appearances, seven straight times out in the first round. He actually got to the Western Conference Finals after that in 04, and then no playoffs 05, 06, 07, then wins a title with Boston in 2008. But when you think of KG now, what do you think of? Like, I know what I think of because I get to see it. And I covered him. I think I did 80-something games that year when they won the title, um, including all the playoff games. He's the ultimate winner. He was the selfless one. He was the one that would do all of the dirty stuff while also scoring and rebounding and passing and playing just balls out defense every single night. His 
his exertion, his energy level, all of those things, like you saw it night in, night out. And you're like, wait, people are actually thinking this guy was a loser because those are the playoff rules. And that was starting to happen with KG back when he got his career in this rut in Minnesota where you know, you, you're not allowed to say this guy's a winner when he's losing the first round of the playoffs every single time. But why was that happening? It's because his team wasn't very good around him. I was looking up some of the stuff yesterday in preparation for this. Malcolm Gladwell did a piece on Garnett. And if you looked at the wins added metric, there were years where Garnett was averaging 30 wins added per season over like a long stretch in Minnesota. The rest of his teammates combined, I'm talking every other guy that played in the Timberwolves games during those seasons, on average, were adding 16 wins. So Garnett was literally doubling the output in the wins added metric than every other guy that wore a uniform that season. One season, the rest of the team added nine wins, and I think he added 31. So that was the case, but we know how we talk about players, especially NBA players. And if you keep losing all the time in the playoffs, we're not allowed to say that you're actually a winner. And he was a winner just hanging out in Minnesota the entire time. And a lot of that is what I think is gone on with Stafford. I like Stafford. I think he's really good. And again, I don't think that his equivalence is KG level quarterbacking in the NFL. But if you look at his 12 years of Detroit Lions, and this is the expected points added metric that a lot of guys use. Again, no numbers perfect, but this one makes some sense here. Because if you look at Stafford in those 12 years with Detroit, and you do a combination of who they were as a defensive team and who they were on special teams, and then you look at the rankings of those combinations. They were only in the top 16, not top five, not top 10. The Lions as a franchise were only in the top half of the NFL three times on combined EPA for defense and special teams. The other, the three times they actually were in the top 16, um, that means nine times that they weren't. They won nine, 10, and 11 games. I don't think Stafford's been this top five quarterback the entire time. I just think he's really good. I think he's going to have a good season with the Rams, a better coach and better talent around him. And you're going to go, oh, maybe this guy is awesome. Here's another one for you. Ryan Tannehill, Bradley Beal. Now, I was going to do Tannehill, Westbrook. I don't think that was fair to Westbrook. Although Oscar Robertson's saying that Westbrook should be the MVP. Oscar checking in. Every time I look at a Tannehill number, I can't believe it's what it is. Tannehill leads the NFL in yards per attempt. Now, with quarterback numbers, I used to think completion percentage was everything. The way they run some of the offenses, that's not the biggest deal anymore. Yards don't really mean all that much. But man, when your yards per attempt is number one in the NFL the last two seasons, like that's an important number because it doesn't mean you're just completing a bunch of passes. It means that you're actually getting the ball down the field. He has 55 touchdown passes, 11 rushing touchdowns, compared to only 17 turnovers the last two years combined. So that's 66 touchdowns, 17 turnovers, including fumbles, 13 interceptions. Every time, and they, look, that's just one. I could give you 10 Tannehill numbers. You're like, wait, what? It's kind of like with Bradley Beal. Beal averaged 30 and 31 the last two seasons. Two years ago, he actually averaged six assists. I like Bradley Beal, but I think he's been sort of available or most perceived to be available, although I don't think he's ever been as available as people thought he's been. So everybody's kind of waiting on the next Beal move. And I felt like if you got Beal, you would then think if you were just outside of being a title contender, you would be a title contender. That would be the way it would react. Somebody would go ahead and pick that team to then win a title because they added Beal. I like Beal. I think he's a lot closer to 20 than he is 10th as far as player rankings in the NBA. So in a weird way, Beal has become overrated, not because of him, but because he's always the name that we keep talking about being added to five or six different teams. If you looked at Tannehill's numbers and you got Tannehill, all right, not that he's leaving Tennessee anytime soon, but if you ended up with him, you'd be looking at these numbers thinking you got a guy just below Patrick Mahomes. We're not even Tannehill's a top 10 quarterback. 
So the number's a little misleading for both guys. All right, let's do another one here. This is going to be the one that's going to get some reaction. Lamar Jackson, Rudy Gobert. There are two groups of people on Rudy Gobert. Jazz fans and analytics hostages, and then everybody else. And then with Lamar, there's two groups of people. It's, uh, I think, the people that are like me, impressed but still a little skeptical, going against former NFL players on television. So Gobert first. He's going to get you through the regular season. You're going to win 50-plus games. The plus-minus numbers will always be incredible. They'll be historic. Let's look at last year. And I got this number from Cleaning the Glass, which I think still had a few regular season games left. Not 100% sure. But the number is the number, and it matters. It could just be off by a tenth. The Jazz were 11.9 points per possession better defensively when Gobert played than when he sat. So you're talking 12 points better with him on the floor defensively than him off of it. Largest gap in the season last year, and one of the biggest gaps that we've seen in the NBA in the last 15 years. He's won three of the last four Defensive Player of the Years, but, and the big but, is the playoffs. He got played off the floor against the Clippers. To be fair to Gobert, it wasn't the greatest matchup for him, but the problem was, even though asking him to chase, to protect the rim and chase the corner, which was impossible, um, he couldn't do anything offensively to make the other team pay. And that was the biggest problem with Gobert, not what he wasn't doing defensively because it was just way too much to ask of him that he then couldn't make the other team pay for going small. Could there be a matchup where Gobert gets through the West? Maybe, but we know what's going to happen. If the Jazz win 55 games, no one's going to care except for Jazz fans. Everybody's going to argue over and over and over again. You're going to hammer us over the head with all these plus minus numbers that are unbelievable. Yet we saw it with our own eyes that in the playoffs, it was a problem when he was actually on the floor which is weird because he's like one of the most impactful guys historically when he's on the floor in the regular season. And that's what we've seen from Lamar. Lamar's numbers in the regular season are really impressive when you rule out that rookie year. Um, he wins the MVP in his second season. He was first and seventh in QBR the last two years. He's 30-7 and seven in his starts with the Ravens. We're pretty sure the Ravens are always going to be good, and they've built their team around him. And we can talk, oh, well, he'd be better if he had better outside weapons and, and more threats down the field. I don't think that's really what the Ravens want to do. I think they want to be built the way they're built because they're tailoring this to Lamar because in the playoffs, that's a problem. Four games, one and three. I'm not talking about record here, but let's face it. There's three bad ones. Maybe four. Maybe four bad ones is too harsh. We'd say three and then not a great one. And I'm not just doing wins, losses. It's, oh, in the win, he was pretty good. He'd made some plays. But the overall numbers are weird. He's got a three touchdown to five interception split. Only one rushing touchdown in the four games. Five fumbles, two loss. His QB rating goes from 102.6 in the regular season to 68 in the playoffs. His completion percentage drops almost 10 points, 64 to 55. And we've seen it with our eyes. There seem to be real limitations for a guy that through the regular season has won an MVP and looks unstoppable. But when it gets to the playoffs, again, maybe matchup like Gobert, if he hits the right run of teams, it won't matter. So there's some positive spin we can put on this. But as of right now, anybody saying that they're not concerned by playoff Lamar Jackson, I think is lying to you and to themselves. This one's quicker. Taysom Hill, Nick Stauskas. Self-explanatory. LeBron Brady, really easy. Not interesting, but I'll try to add one piece that makes it interesting. How many times have we thought both were done? I think that's the best comp beyond the obvious that I could go on and on. We already know what those are. The 2016 NBA Finals run by LeBron is one of the great accomplishments I've seen from a team, uh, considering the circumstances in my entire lifetime of watching NBA basketball. All right. And in 16, there was a very specific storyline that we need to remember. Steph was having the better season. We we're sitting there talking for a living, going, you know, Steph's probably the best player in the world right now. We love saying best player in the world. 
And LeBron was like, he may have had the better season, but I'm reminding you in these finals that I am the best player in the world. And he did. And we kind of counted him out a little bit. Um, and I think we'd understand and we'd all admit that as much as I love Steph, peak Steph is not peak LeBron in a playoff series. He just isn't. It's not that bad that you're behind me, the second or third best player of all time, but you get it. In 1920, the bubble season where they win another title, he was being counted out again. Remember some of that stuff? Oh, he likes movies now. As if you can't do anything but basketball. You can only like basketball, but this is what we do. When you have other interests or you do some other things, or sometimes when a golfer gets married and has a fucking kid, we're like, ah, you know, I don't know if he really wants it as much anymore. And then guess what? Everybody that said because he was doing movies and he didn't want it, well, he was hurt the year before. They come back and they win that title. Brady, there's there's probably times 10 years ago you're like, all right, the window is probably closing. I remember sometimes like I thought like it, it's more likely if you just look at the math, the window was probably closing. And guess what? Not only a few more Super Bowls, uh, they're off winning one last year in position to maybe win another one. So those two guys, again, like I said, beyond the obvious, align with the fact that they've been doubted, counted out and then remind the entire fan base of their leagues. And it's like, yeah, actually, you probably shouldn't do that because people have lost a lot of money doubting those guys. Kyrie Irving, Cole Beasley. Mm, that doesn't work, though. Cole is not a quarterback, not eligible for this one. I was trying to think of a Mahomes. I was thinking Giannis. Um, this is not a slight against Giannis. I just don't think Giannis is Mahomes, and that's more about who Mahomes is. Um, I, I know some people that would probably say, no, no, let's, let's do that one. Let's force it. No, let's not force it. Let's stay on course here. I, I think that would be forcing it because as great as Giannis is, I don't think he is is what Mahomes is. Sorry. All right, this is one that I enjoyed. Oh, wait, I have one other one here. Russell Wilson, Damian Lillard. The only comp there is shorter for their career, um, but the trade demand that isn't quite there yet. Yeah. And I don't know if that one's coming from Dame. I think Russell Wilson like was like, hey, can I try to be that guy? Because I've crafted being like the most like guy or trying to be the most like guy, but I don't really want to play here anymore. So how do I do this? Oh, no, people aren't going to like me. All right, I'm out. Um, they tried. They tried. They planted stories. Uh, they they weren't a hundred percent invested. You got to go. You got to go a little harder when you want your way out. And look, Aaron Rodgers went much harder. It didn't work out for him either. So that was one that I didn't. I didn't develop that one too much. This one I did develop. Daniel Jones, Mo Bamba. Why? Because you're holding out hope, and you probably shouldn't. We had other candidates here for the Mo Bamba inclusion. Marvin Bagley. Killian Hayes. This is the point with Daniel Jones. He's a high draft pick. And if you're a Giants fan, you keep remembering that, keep thinking about it. I mean, I looked at the Sando QB tier things again. I think he was like in the in the low 20s. Um, somebody had him as a tier two quarterback, which seems insane. The numbers got worse last year. He's had a league high 39 turnovers the last two seasons, and that's in only 27 games. The Giants averaged just over 17 points per game in his starts last season. That was down. Uh, from his rookie year and behind the one in 15 Jaguars last year. I think we know who Daniel Jones is. Like, I know he can run. Yeah, I know he's athletic. Awesome. He turns the ball over a million times and he's a high draft pick that everybody's holding out hope for. And, you know, like a lot of the young QBs, especially the dual threat guys that can run a little bit, we have these moments in the rookie season where it's like, oh, look at this. Look at this. You remember McShay? McShay, like, had a, I think he had to, did he have to speak? on C-SPAN to talk about how he couldn't believe Daniel Jones went that high. And everybody's like, kill him. Stone McShay to death. I think you already have your answer. And you already have your answer on Mo Bamba. But with Daniel Jones, you just keep lying to yourself the entire time. Yeah, that's how I feel. Maybe I'll be wrong because I've been wrong about others 
like Josh Allen. And that's my final one. Josh Allen, Trey Young. This one is more personal because I didn't like either in the beginning. Josh Allen didn't complete enough passes at any stage of his career, and now all of a sudden he's like an MVP candidate. That's incredible. Uh, Trey Young put up much better numbers to start his career than Josh Allen did, so advantage Trey Young on that one, but I didn't really know what it meant. Um, They were a bad team right before they fired their coach and got some people back this year, but they had a bad record again this year, and then they run through the rest of the regular season, and what I saw from Trey Young in the playoffs was not just the numbers, his command, his fearlessness, uh, the stuff that you really want, where now you feel like, hey, we have a franchise guy, a face of the franchise if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan. And that's what you have with Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills. Because what he did last year, and I don't even know if he's going to repeat that, but it doesn't matter. He doesn't have to be statistically the exact same guy. But you have somebody knocking on the door. If he has another season like that, this is somebody we're going to start talking about potentially being in the top five conversation of quarterbacks as we filter out some of the older guys. We've already kind of gone through one stage of that. There's some other older guys that are going to get out of the way. And that's a possibility. I'm not saying it's a certainty, but it looks pretty promising. And I know Bills fans, you do it every single time. No, he was actually really good. You guys are all dicks. You're national media guys. No, he wasn't. His numbers sucked. Yes, I know it was about weapons. Um, I hear it from you every time. I'm going to hear it from you again. But here's the point. None of that matters because if you're the Bills, you have somebody that gives you a chance every single Sunday because you may have an advantage of that position for a decade. That's how special he could be. And it's the same thing for the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young in that now we have a real guy. We have a guy that can carry us emotionally through those tough times beyond just the scoring. And that's where I've, I've become a much bigger fan of Trey Young. Send me yours, and I'll never read them, at Ryan A. Russillo on Twitter. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy, probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can Talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. It is that time. I'm excited, and it's probably taking me too long to get to this topic, but it's ready for college football on this podcast and we know we always check in with Bruce Feldman of the Athletic Fox Sports so there's a bunch of different stuff I want to do here because normally we just do some preview stuff we can't do it until we hit on the newsy items because uh, the Texas Oklahoma thing going to the SEC has started all sorts of stuff that's gone on for about a month plus now Uh, we don't know exactly when that start date will happen that's a different topic but yesterday we were um, entertained by the alliance announcement between the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. And we had three commissioners on three screens doing a presser, which after I read everything on the press release and watched some of it, um, I respect the job of conference commissioner, but I mean, I just feel insulted, Bruce. I feel insulted that like, you know, they're going to go through all the reasons why they're doing this, academics, 
gender equality, all of these these talking points. And then it's like, oh, and by the way, like this will lead to more revenue. And you're just like, look, we're not fucking idiots here. Um, it felt like a PR thing. It felt petty. Uh, it felt it felt honestly like nothing more than, hey, we're just going to do something. It's like renaming a, a brand of food as if it means something. I, I know that this is still a work in progress, so I'm, I'm going into it with an open mind. But I don't know, man, like I watched this and just felt like what what is it that you're actually saying you're doing? Because there's nothing necessarily that's agreed upon other than, hey, let's just all not poach each other when they've all done it in the past anyway. And so you help me because I believe you were on the call. Yeah, I mean, right. So I think the thing that you have to kind of sort out here is what is going to be significant that college football fans are going to care about. It's not to say governance issues, which I think they will be probably more in alignment with, not to say that those are are irrelevant, but I think for college football fans, what will we care about? Even you know the beginning of the call it was about okay, how's this going to work on a non-conference scheduling front? Because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of times I, I think if you follow people on social media, you'll see, oh, uh, Michigan has agreed to play so-and-so like 11 years from now or whatever. <laughs> deals are so long range. It's like, okay, we well, already have these contracts now. How is it going to work? Are you going to try to get out of those contracts? And it didn't, from, from their answers, it didn't seem like they were going to do that. It was like, hey, we're going to work in the confines of this. And then there was another layer of it, which was about which this was to me was the most surprising part was there is nothing form no signed document about this alliance and by the way just even the name alliance when you hear it it makes it seem like wait a minute is this another spring football league that's starting up or you know it just kind of seems kind of a little bit flimsy and then when you hear that there's no signed document at one point i asked them on the call Given, and this was told to me by a Big 12 athletic director right when the Texas OU stuff was blowing up, they felt like the Big 12 was the most stable it had been in the last dozen years. And that thing fell apart or is falling apart. So the idea that there's no signed document to bind these 41 schools in in these three conferences and run the risk of, hey, somebody might be poaching somebody else because Ask Bob Bowlesby how he feels about Greg Sankey. He sat across the table from him on the CFP expansion working group, not knowing that, that Greg Sankey was gutting him right in front of him with the help of one of his TV partners. So, you know, that expression, no honor among thieves, you kind of wonder about it. And they said, look, well, we looked each other in the eye and this and that. And I get it. The reason, the underly, underlying reason why is because right now I think this is, hey, these all three of these commissioners are all new. They're trying to figure out how this is going to work. They want to establish something, but they don't know what. You know, it's not like they're only now are they going to begin to roll up their sleeves and figure out what the next step is. To me, the most uh, practical, not practical, but the most significant thing that could come of it is if they pump the brakes on the CFP expansion and say, listen, we don't want ESPN to have a monopoly on this. We look at the NFL model. There's multiple partners involved. There's more money, you know, in play. You know, when it came to the SEC's new deal, it really didn't go to market. It went to ESPN. Greg Sankey steered, you know, ended up steering it that direction. It felt like that was in the best interest of their branding and their business. The CFP is a different entity right now. So if they pump the brakes on and on the expansion and make it go to a bigger uh 
to maybe a bigger broadcast range, then I think there would be something significant to come out of it. But we'll have to wait and see if it gets to that point. Yeah. So, you know, when I when I think about this, I think about the hypocrisy of it all because you sit there and you're like, all right, so the Pac-12 is above this now when 10 years ago you were telling everybody you were getting Texas and Oklahoma. But again, that was Larry Scott's propaganda and it didn't work out. Um, the Big Ten had no problem taking Nebraska. The ACC destroyed the Big East. Um, Big Ten had no problem taking Maryland and they even wanted Rutgers just because of cable box numbers. So, you know, none of these guys to sit there and say, like even Bowlesby to go after ESPN when ESPN is probably the only reason the Big 12 survived any of that stuff because they were like, look, we're going to create our own deal with you guys and keep this going. I don't like any of the realignment. I wish we had the traditional things. I think there is a line that you can cross and we're getting there. But I, I felt like this was it was kind of this like, hey, we're going to do this now because we're mad at the SEC. And it's like, well, all you guys have all been doing this in the past anyway. So I don't I don't really understand it. Now, if this calms everything, if this means that their packaging of their conference, their non-conference games means they're going to get bigger viewers and bigger TV money and all that stuff, that's fine. But like this hasn't been a bad job. Like for conferences to look at, especially the Big Ten to look at the TV money the SEC's got. And it's like, actually, the Big Ten per school has been beating the SEC throughout all these years. We'll see what the new SEC deal is, is that CBS game changes over. But it's not like the Big Ten has been doing badly throughout this. So in a way, I was kind of surprised. I guess, I don't know if it was the Big Ten saying, we want to do something to curtail the SEC. We want to do something to expand the TV market, which is always going to happen anyway, because the prices keep going up. But the Big Ten really didn't need the ACC and Pac-12 when you look at their games, because Clemson is really the only draw unless Florida State's great and the Pac-12 is lagging behind everybody with viewers. I think some of it has to do with a, a concern and maybe, I don't know if it's a paranoia because maybe it's, you know, paranoia is usually unfounded stuff and this might might not be that, where you look and say, well, Texas and OU, which were by far the biggest and really the most relevant and really the, the relevant TV brand powers and appeal that the Big 12 had. And so I think that those other leagues are looking at it and saying, okay, we don't like that thing that the landscape is shifting so much. I, I think one of the things that was brought up on the call was the volatility and the, and the instability, which I think those, and remember, all three of those commissioners, Kevin Warren's really new. He took over right when the pandemic hit. And Jim Phillips from the ACC and George Klyovkov from the Pac-12 are brand new. They just started up a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. the ideas that these guys who also, by the way, were not really part of these, these other discussions because they weren't in their jobs. I think this is also an aspect of let's have a little, let's not get too far over our skis here. And some of the things we want, cause I, I know you, you said something earlier about there was a, uh, there was a lot of positioning and posturing Larry Scott that had done well, Larry Scott's not running it anymore. Uh, George Klyovkov is now. It's the same thing with the ACC, and to some degree, same thing with the with the Big Ten. So I think a little of this is for them to do their to gather their own intel on some of these other issues. They're not going to be in a voting block. I mean, like Kevin Warren, one of the things that came up yesterday was just because they're together on a lot of issues does not mean they're going to be a one voting block going forward. So. I don't want to say this is much ado about nothing because I don't think it is. I think there is something potentially substantial out of this. We'll see how substantial, but I think right now, you know, that was one of those press conferences that that created a lot more uh, questions than it got answered. 
Yeah. And, you know, to point out the commissioners are all new here is, is a good point, unless the job has changed, which I don't think it's changed because they had some PR announcement with a video conference. Like, I, I still have a hard time believing that if somebody were offered something that benefited them, that they're going to turn it down all of a sudden because they now labeled something the alliance. Look, I didn't like the PR release because they put out a million reasons that have nothing to do with this to make it sound better so they could all feel better about it. If this provides more stability and less realignment, I'm all for it. If it means they're going to get bigger TV money because there's a different packaging of it, that's fine. It's in your, you know, it's their interest to go ahead and do all that stuff. But it felt like, hey, we just need to do something. So let's do something. It felt like a luncheon. You know, it felt like this, this thing where you walk out and you go, okay, but now like, what, what does that actually mean? And as you keep pointing out, as everybody has, is that now it's just, hey, we're not going to do anything bad to each other forever because we're we looked at each other in the eyes and it's like, all right, well, that's really admirable if that's something you've accomplished. But I'm, I just don't feel that naive because that's just not what the sport has been now for a very, very long time, more decades, not years. Right. And we're, I think we're numb to this at this point. I think it's yeah. really easy to be c- cynical. I don't even know if I would call it cynical just because you've seen everything happen. I mean, if you didn't, if you weren't paying attention to what happened with the big 12, just a couple of weeks back, I don't know how you could look at the landscape and not go, okay, you know, there's that expression, there's no honor among thieves. I think that is how I feel with this. It's not to say that these guys are all used car salesmen or these, these people in charge are all used car salesmen. I just think that you can talk about, and I'm not saying that they, that they do not have their hearts are in the right places at times in terms of some of the issues they care about. I just think that they are all largely out for themselves like like ceos are you know like i can remember a a uh a a conversation i had back when you know this is back when we were both at espn talking to somebody high up in the company and they were talking about another place that i didn't really see as a viable as a real competitor to espn it was a much smaller brand and it was a place or is still a place somewhat that uh has I, I have a couple of friends who worked there at the time, and I just remember this person was talking about how they needed to basically crush it because that was how business works. And I just remember thinking it was like that's not really a like that's not really a competitor to us, but that is how people who are in those chairs, I think they're just conditioned to think. And as much as they're going to tell people who are there, um, their partners to some degree in the same conferences, I think if they know that they don't react or not proactive. I think they're afraid they're going to get squeezed out. And it's like, do unto others before they can do unto you. I feel like that's become, a, it's become something of a mantra in college athletics. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. I, the TV executive stuff is a great example. I remember when they brought Overman back to ESPN and I was talking to somebody who would be as high up as they could be. And we were just, you know, meeting and I was like, what was the, and it wasn't like I was anti-Overman. I just was like, what's, What's going on there? Because they remember they had a 10 o'clock Overman show and they were like, well, Fox Sports just launched that new thing with two new anchors and we're just going to crush it. And I was like, oh, I was like, you care that much about? And he was like, yeah, I have to. Like it was just, hey, Overman's a bigger name than those two guys are. We're going to put them on a 10 o'clock before our 11 o'clock sports center. They're not going to get in front of us. Nobody's going to watch that show. Everybody's going to watch Overman. And I don't think everybody watched Overman, but it was like a big deal. It was, it was a thing to have. And it was just simply a chess move to block the idea that you had something new somewhere else that wasn't even a competitor, it, but it, they weren't going to make, they were going to make sure they never were going to be. Um, I would have loved if somebody on the call were like, Hey, if academics is the number one priority here, does that mean that you would take Vandy if they were available? 
to the ACC or Big Ten, but you know who knows now with this alliance. Hey, if that's if that's the case, go try to scoop an Ivy League school away or something. <laughs> the you New know? Haven, the New Haven footprint. Okay, let's talk. Um, let's talk real ball here. So this is pretty staggering, uh, and I know you know this, but I'll just remind the listeners here. Bama's won five of the last seven SEC titles. Clemson's won six straight ACC. Ohio State's won four straight Big Ten titles. Oklahoma's won six straight Big 12 titles, uh, and that's, of course, the conference championships. 20 of the 28 playoff spots have been from those four teams, and they are your top four AP teams. New quarterbacks with Bama, sort of with Clemson. Because um, DJ did get time with them, Ohio State absolutely, and then Spencer Rattler's there with Oklahoma. I believe uh, that things are cyclical. It's it's tough to argue that it kind of feels a little bit like the Western and Eastern Conference in the NBA, where you're like, "Wow, oh, this will even out at some point," and it and it didn't forever. It might actually this year a little bit. Um, but I mean, how do you think this thing is going to look? Like, do you have concerns about any of those top four teams? Is there in all your travels and all your phone calls where you go, you know what? There's actually one of those four teams where I think the run is going to be over for them. Uh, I, you know, when I look at Oklahoma, I think they're going to be really, really good. I am not as far. Having said that, I'm not as far on the Spencer Rattler first pick of the draft bandwagon as as a lot of other people seem to be. But I just think the skill talent they have. Uh, they, I, I think Alex Grinch has really, really upgraded their defense, changed the mentality in that room. I think they are, to me, I think they're as safe a, a pick to be a top five caliber team because I don't really have question marks on them the way that, you know, CJ Stroud, I've heard really good things about him at Ohio State. They have the best receiving core in the country. They have a huge athletic offensive line. Ryan Day's a really you know, terrific quarterback coach and offensive mind. They weren't very good on defense last year. I think people forget that. And they lost all their linebackers. Now they should be better on the D line. I would imagine they'll be better in the secondary, but I do have some questions about them defensively. Now they're, they're more talented than everybody else in their, in their conference, but new quarterback who I think should be good, but you know, I don't feel as strongly as about him as I did about Justin Fields. And I like the defense, I don't know if they're going to be that good. Like, I think people forget when Jeff Hafley got hired there by Ryan Day, that was a great hire. He made a profound impact on them defensively. I'm not sure how much different they're going to be on defense. You know, like that's a, that's an interesting one for me. You know, I'm not, I guess I'm not as confident as Ohio State, like with Alabama, to me, you know, obviously they've reshuffled the staff. They lost five first-round picks on offense. I think Bryce Young's going to be really good. They, ha- they should have a really good offensive line, best linebacker core in the country. I think with Nick Saban, basically because he's Nick Saban and what he's done there, I think he's a given. Uh, you know, Clemson I feel strongly about. I think DJ's really good. They're going to be better on the D-line. They have better athletes. The part, I guess, if you had to say one of those, you know, five, four or five schools throw Georgia in there, the school that I would probably be the little more skeptical of, I think, is Ohio State just because of the defense. So not struck. So, you know, you're so good on kind of knowing like the the QB pass, like what the people are saying about them in high school once they get them into camp, you know, maybe even sitting. Like Bryce at Bama is is by all accounts the real deal. Um, mm-hmm. but we don't, we don't know what it's looked like in camp and now Bill O'Brien after Sark, um, DJ looks like, I mean, if he's bad, that would be, that would blow my mind. 
at Clemson because not only did we get a little taste of it last year, I mean he's he's he checks every single box coming out of and high school. And he's got really good receivers. There, Justin Ross is back. I mean, they have a lot of they have. A, I know ATN is not there, but they have a really good group of receivers, and I think they're much more talented on the defensive front than they were the last couple of years. Those all those five stars they signed, they're ready to go now. They were they were really young last year. I think that they, uh, you know. If I if you said who would you pick to win the national title right now, I would actually say Clemson. All right, so Clemson's your pick. Yeah. Because it sounds like you're a little you would put Stroud expectations wise behind those other two guys. I that's, would. That's the, that's what I'm getting from you. The thing that I think bodes well for him is he has the best, you know, group of receivers and he has a really good offensive line. The thing that gives me a little concern with him is those other guys, I think, actually have better defenses. It's weird to say this, but I have more confidence right now in the Oklahoma defense than I think I do in the Ohio State defense. You know, I mean, not it's not by a ton. Like, I don't think Ohio State is, is going to be horrible on defense. I think they'll be good in the defensive line. But they were really shaky last year. And again, they were really shaky. And they lost a bunch of linebackers. Like, Pete Warner is a really good player in the, in the Big Ten. I think he's going to be a good pro. That guy's not there. They lost other guys who played a lot. So I think, to me, that's why I'm like, I don't think it's as much a C.J. Stroud thing, but I do think they are going to be in some some shootout kind of games because of their defense. And again, you're talking about a guy who hasn't played at all. Um, I don't, if you ask me, is like, he had to be Justin Fields last year to kind of overcome the defense at that point in a really you know, kind of a chaotic, obviously, 2020 season because of the pandemic and everything else. But I don't know. I, I think the bar is so high at Ohio State that I just don't know if I, I have a little hesitation. I mean, I don't think they're I still think they're a top 10 team, but it wouldn't surprise me if they finish like eighth or ninth. Wait, so do you think they're are you not picking them to win the Big Ten? I think they I think they probably will win the Big Ten, but I think they are a 10 and two kind of team more than anything um yeah know, and I, actually you're you're answering the first question that i had for you of those top four teams like give me the one and, and clearly you have ohio state behind the other three yeah i don't i don't know if they're that much better than iowa to be honest i mean iowa has a stud running back they have a really good offensive line they have you know good players on defense they're well coached i mean to me iowa wisconsin potentially penn state i don't you know like I think they could stumble a couple times. Now, I still think they can win the big the Big Ten title because by the end of the year, I think some of those young players will will have you know had a lot of seasoning. But to me, um, I think they may. I think they're a little bit of a step behind because of where they are defensively. All right, you mentioned Georgia, so I, we didn't even come close to touching on that. JT Daniels. So you know you at least have somebody who's supposed to be one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Running backs are stacked. Offensive linemen, ton of experience back. The front is incredible, especially the D-line part of it. Like, it's nasty. But then there's a secondary, a couple transfers in. Is the secondary your main concern for Georgia? No, my main concern still is is just, honestly, it's Kirby and the games where they stumble a little bit. When they play somebody comparable talent, I mean – you know, we do, I would do our coach of the, you know, top 25 coaching rankings. And I, I get it. Kirby, you know, can pull five stars with anybody. And he came close to winning a national title a couple of years ago. He also, when he played LSU back-to-back -back years, they got blown out of the building twice. 
Um, and it's not like LSU had way better players than, than Georgia. Um, I think JT Daniels is a good quarterback. I'm also, I would pump the brakes on him being, you know, some, anybody saying he's a top 10 draft pick coming up. I'm not I, saying that, but he's, no, I'm not you feel like he's a top 10 quarterback in college football this year. We'll see. I mean, he played the last half of the year last year. It wasn't like they played great competition in those games. You know, they played Cincinnati. You know, Cincinnati was depleted in the bowl game. But, you know, I think he's a good quarterback. And I just don't know. Here's the thing, Brian. Like, to me, if you were going to win a national title, I feel like you really need a, an elite quarterback now. And you need to be really special in the front seven on defense. I think they're special in the front seven on defense. I don't know uh, where they are, if he can, maybe he can, but I mean, I, I'm not as, I'm, it's not a given to me about him. I do not feel the way, um, you know, again, and I, I wouldn't have said this about Joe Burrow coming into his senior season. So we'll see. But again, I think just because JT was a five-star in high school at a school that cranks him out, um, I'm not like, and I'm not saying that's why people are defaulting to it, but I just think that, you know, he played probably before he was ready at USC, had an up and down freshman year, and then got hurt, then went to Georgia, took a little while to get settled in. Um, you know, the bar is high there, just like Ohio State. It's like, it's basically feels like national championship or bust. And I don't, you know, I don't know that he's going to be a big upgrade from where, is he going to be better than Jake Fromm was? No, it's a good point, too. And I mean, anybody that's going or maybe arguing with you or potentially arguing with me, depending on how you feel about JT Daniels, it, it's you can't use the Heisman preseason. He's fourth in the Heisman preseason odds. But I mean, Bryce Young's third. And we've not, we, I mean, barely seen him play, you know, some in garbage time. Um, and, you know, there was even a time where people wondered, you know, if he would actually be the guy over Mac Jones and, and he wasn't. Um, so the, the Heisman stuff isn't always the default to go to. I don't know if you had more to that, but I want to jump on AM. No, let's go to a I mean, because, I, you know, like I said, I think JT's talented. I just, I want to see more. Like I, last year did not convince me that, uh, that he is, he is going to be the guy people were hyping him up kind of out of high school. He might be, but I, I still need to see a lot more from that than, than the end of last season. Okay, fair. All right. A&M, uh, you know, like a lot of these teams at the top, we, we start voting on the name. They finished. Really well last year. I mean, they did. I don't think they should have been in the playoff, but that's a successful season. But we know that with AM and Jimbo, the expectations are still beyond that. They named Hayes King, quarterback, uh, redshirt freshman over Calzado, who's a sophomore. Um, King, depending on where you look, I think he's more four-star and more rankings than he was a three-star. He's actually a dual-threat kid. Um, he's, he's super athletic. I think that's why they liked him a little bit more with AM. But there are people picking A&M to win the West here, hoping maybe this is the year Bama finally falls. Yeah, I, I am interested in him. Like we did a Heisman draft at The Athletic yesterday or two days ago. And so it was like, you know, it's I think we had ended up picking like 36 guys. So once you get past the first two rounds, you're projecting. I took him in the third with my third pick. I think. He's everybody I've talked to down there think he's really, really talented. Like you said, he's a really good runner, really good athlete, really quick release. The things I, and obviously Jimbo has a good track record with developing quarterbacks. The other thing I really like is he has terrific skill guys to work with. He's got Isaiah Spiller's a big time running back. 
He's got two really athletic tight ends where they can do a lot of stuff with him. He's got good receivers. And I think they've got a lot of guys who Jimbo could get really creative offensively because there's running backs who, who are almost like receivers and tight, and tight ends who are like wide receivers who can run. Now, they do have to replace a bunch of offensive linemen. That's a concern. Um, the question, I think, for people, and I would fit into this category as well, because I do think they have some good talent on defense. I don't know if they have, you know, like Marvin Leal is a big time defensive lineman. They I have him. guys up there. Yeah. But um, we've seen Texas NM be good for a year or two. <laughs> like, and I get it. Jimbo's won a national title. He's, you know, he's a proven commodity, but can they sustain it there? I mean, you're still talking about a quarterback who's really never played. And it, it's one thing to look great at times. It's another thing to, to to overtake Alabama and do it, you know. And and it's not like the rest of the division is 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 garbage or anything like that. I mean, I get it. Auburn new head coach, LSU is trying to have a bounce back season. The Mississippi schools, one's terrible on defense, the other one, you know, I don't think they're of that caliber. But you still have Alabama in there, you know, and that's who you got to overcome. And when all eyes are on you, I mean, that stat about Nick Saban against his former, you know, assistants, like, I think they're a top 10 team. I, again, I feel like a little bit, it's similar to Ohio State. I think they're, they're probably going to be better on defense, but they have, they have really good skill guys to break in a new, a new quarterback who's talented. In the case of Ohio State, they have a, be- a better offensive line. I don't know how good AM's offensive line is going to be. And again, new quarterback, albeit a, a mobile one, with a really inexperienced kind of patched up offensive line. There's some talent there, but it's unproven. I think that's the part that gives me a little concern whether they can be more quite as good as they were last year. You did a big piece on Iowa State. Uh, everybody loves Matt Campbell. You know, they won the regular season title in the Big 12. Uh, they lost to Oklahoma in the rematch there. Brock Purdy's back quarterback. I, I read your piece, and you can already tell where I'm probably going with this because I just think it's like, hey, it's awesome that you guys don't have top recruits. You have recruiting classes, I think, that are ranking in the 50s. And then it turns into this whole thing like, yeah, this is how you should do it. And like, no, nah, I'd actually rather have like seven five-stars coming in every year. Like, good for you that you guys are doing it this way. Um, is this a year to build onto that or – is there any part of you that thinks, hey, that was just a really good year for an Iowa State program where I don't know how they would say it, but it, like it's the first Big 12 title for them since 1912. But I don't know if that counts if the same way because they lost the conference championship because obviously they didn't have the conference championship games back then. But you spend a lot of time with them. You're closer to that program. Uh, give me your sense of, of what direction they're going. And they have Iowa early. And if they get through that, depending on where Texas is at a little later in the season, they're preseason 21. I mean, we could be looking at a really great record from Iowa State going into Oklahoma at the second to last game of the season. Yeah, the, that Iowa game is the biggest one in the history of that Cyhawk rivalry. Both teams are top 15. I think both teams are top 10 caliber. I mean, last year, Iowa State, best season in school history, they finished ninth. Now they're sitting there at seven. The things I like about them, you have a quarterback who's played a lot. You have an All-American running back, All-American tight end. Offensive line's got a lot of experience, and they have playmakers at all three levels. Mike Rosewell, McDonald are really good front seven players. And we know Matt Campbell is a, is a terrific coach. I mean, he's beaten big school, top 10 schools multiple times. I think this is the year where they – they have a real shot to be a playoff team. I know people are like, but the recruiting rankings, it's like 
talk to people who work in scouting and NFL. There's a bunch of guys who are on NFL radar about it. You know, Charlie Kolar, the tight end, he should, you know, he should be, he should have been a higher ranked guy, but people didn't think he ran great, you know, at, you know, at his size. Some of the other guys who were three stars have turned into four star talent because of the way they developed. Brees Hall was a four star. He lived up to it. Um, I, I think the question I have is if, and again, this is a really good Iowa team they're going to play and it's an experienced one. If they get by that game, I think people need to start thinking about them as a legit playoff contender and not just, Hey, he's done a really good job there. Now, the flip side of this is I think he could, ha- he will have another top 10 season. And this may be the year that somebody lures Matt Campbell away. If I'm an Iowa state fan, you know who I root for the team that has the similar uniforms to us. I am rooting hard for Clay Helton is the Clay Helton's out of there. I think USC is going to come after Matt Campbell with a lot of money. And I think it would be hard for Matt Campbell to say no given what we talked about way earlier about the Texas and OU leaving the Big 12 and the Big 12 being marginalized. I think Matt Campbell's, you know, I did a story on The Athletic that just went up today about coaches to keep an eye on as it relates to the coaching carousel for this year. Matt Campbell's a prime guy on that. He's He's got a super experienced team. This is the team that's built. If Iowa State ever had a team that can be a playoff team, this is the year question is now like do you avoid injuries how does it actually play out but they feel like they're really mature all the intangibles are there but now they just got to do now they, now they got to do the the part and just do the deal itself all right so Cincinnati comes in at eight so let's just run through the last um the last teams here in the top 10 and maybe i'll ask for like one you know breakthrough or, or something like that um you know i i'm really annoying about the non power five teams because I just I think the schedule matters that much um, but Cincinnati as you watched them all year you were like look they're really good um, yeah they lost the bowl game it's not that big of a deal when I was at the elite 11 with you I talked to one of the coaches and there's a million coaches at it who works with these guys and he's like Ritter's my favorite quarterback in the country and he's like I was like come on you know but you're I mean these are guys that do it for a living doesn't mean they're right but it there are times I'm sure like you or I have thoughts or perceptions of certain quarterbacks. And then one of those guys that's been doing it his whole life will say, no, you're totally wrong. And it like shatters you. Like, so for me, I was like, wait, you think Ritter's the best of all the guys? And he was like, sometimes yeah, you, absolutely. So you have to take some of it a grain of salt because you don't know whose relationship is with who. Oh, no, that's fair. No, that's funny. But I'm with you. Like the thing on Cincinnati that's really fascinating to me is they have a schedule that sets up pretty well in terms of they have to go to Indiana, who was really good last year, and we think will be really good again this year. And then they have an open week, and then they have to go to Notre Dame, who obviously was really good last year. If they win those two games, and I think athletically, they match up well against both of those teams. I mean, I had four guys on my freaks list who were Cincinnati guys, or three guys, and I could have had three more. I mean, this is a really athletic team that they uh, Luke Fickle's done a really good job developing. The question is, if they can somehow win those games, and those are that's a big if to beat both Notre Dame and Indiana on the road. But not only do they need to win those games, they need then those other two teams to turn around and bounce back and have really good seasons. Like if Indiana goes back to being what people mostly have known about Indiana football, and they're like five and seven or six and six. The committee will write that one off in a heartbeat. If Notre Dame ends up, you know, stubbing its toe a bunch of times and ends up going eight and four, people are going, yeah, it's Notre Dame. They had a down year, new quarterback, and, you know, they don't 
they, we see what happens whenever they play, whenever they're, they play a playoff team. So we're going to dismiss that. Like when you're Cincinnati, we saw this from the college football playoff committee last year. They don't get any of the benefit of the doubt and they didn't have the non-conference games to do it. They also, you know, they played Georgia hard. They lost to Georgia. Nonetheless, it wasn't a great Georgia team relative to the, you know, what we know from sec powerhouses. So they don't get the benefit of the doubt. They're going to need to take every advantage and then they're going to need help. They're going to need help from the other teams to stumble. And they're going to need those two teams that if they beat them, they need them to stay, be top 15 kind of teams to give them every advantage possible. Do you want to just jump to Notre Dame? Comes in at nine. No. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to skip over. Uh, well, no, they're nine, and then we'll go to North Carolina in the AP poll. Um, they named Jack Cohn the quarterback, so I don't know that people were surprised the Wisconsin transfer. Um, you know, I, I've always felt that Kelly has had this team uh, just, it's been the best level of talent since Lou Holtz. And I don't even think that's debatable. Uh, they, they're constantly putting pros in. I mean, even sometimes there's guys from Notre Dame where you're not thinking of them as absolute superstars in college football. And then, you know, they end up getting drafted and they end up playing in the league for a long time. So the talent is always there. But, you know, Book was a good quarterback. He wasn't, he wasn't special, special, but he got drafted. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't know, you know, you would know better than I would about where they're at right now offensively. Yeah, it sounds like, by the way, it sounds like the Saints really like Book, you know, as a future guy. So he was a good college quarterback. And it wasn't like, yeah, these are the things that we kind of know about Notre Dame now that are kind of feel like they're givens. They're going to be really good on the offensive line because they keep producing and developing offensive line. They're going to have really good tight ends. Last year, I thought Kyron Williams was a pleasant surprise. He emerges as one of the best all-around running backs in the country. To me, he's an all-American caliber running back. Uh, Do they have some difference makers outside because you know you know where you're going to be with tight ends and and Kyron Williams and and Tyree who's a little bit like a Bryce Love kind of running back as a compliment super fast kid not as physical but do they have guys on the outside Jack Cohen is you know he's a former lacrosse star from Long Island you know pretty athletic guy I don't think he is a guy that you know it's been a while since Notre Dame has basically had Brady Quinn back there was a guy like, Oh, that guy could be a first round pick at quarterback, you know? So they've been kind of, I don't say limited, but they've been not spectacular back there. And I think it's honestly, it's, it's hurt them a little bit downfield in that regard. I think where Kelly has done a really good job on defense, he is, he has really brought some good athletes and they've, they've developed some guys who turn out to be really good players that the NFL looks at. I mean, Kyle Hamilton's a special athlete at safety. They have some guys up front who are legit NFL talent. Um, the, like I, what I think is they're good. I think the, the top 10 ranking is right around where they belong. Cause I don't see Jack Cohen elevating where they were in the past game from where they were last year with Ian book. I just don't, you know, look outside and, like, when was the last time you saw Notre Dame with a guy say, ooh, that's a first-round pick, like, outside? You know, like, Will Fuller, I remember I have a buddy who's an NFL yeah. guy, and he kept on saying, Will Fuller rolls. Like, he would get, he was kind of like um, De'Ami Brown from North Carolina, where he could get by everybody. But I don't, I, I'm just saying in terms of, like, Alabama has had one after the other, <laughs> the other of start with Julio and go through all these kids who come out of South Florida and ended up there where it's like, oh, that's a guy who not just scares people, but that's a guy who makes plays consistently. Um, you know, Notre Dame hasn't, like, had that. They've had some good receivers. Like, I mean, Claypool is a good receiver. You know, they've had 
but it's mostly been a living off the tight ends. And I, again, new quarterback, I think if they had somebody, you know, more elite out there, um, then I could say, all right, you know, I think they take the next step right now. I think they are somewhere of a 10 and two, nine and three team. Okay. North Carolina, uh, last one here, how the reason they're top 10 team is because of him. And in some people's eyes, he's the, the best draft prospect of anybody. Uh, depends on who you talk to. Um, they, they're missing both running backs. The defense was kind of weird in spots last year where you go, okay, look, this is a good season. They're, they're eight and four. They lost the bowl game to A&M. But, but sometimes it just felt like they couldn't stop anybody. So was there enough improvement on that side? Because I think with Hall, there's just a, a level that you expect from them offensively. And the schedule, I think, sets up really well. They got no Clemson. They got Miami at home, but they do have to go to Notre Dame. I was a little surprised they were as high as they were, you know, like Howell's really good. I think he fits that system really well, but they did lose two big time running backs. Ty Chandler transfers in from Tennessee. He's a good player. Um, Deami Brown's brother, uh, Coffrey is there. He's explosive, but I think, you know, I, I, I do, I think they're a top 20 team. Yes. Do I think they're a top 10 team? No, that surprised me a little bit. I think that's a little, too big of a price to put on them at this point. Um, you know, people are going to be gunning for them. Not to say that they weren't before, that they were, you know, they were sneaking up on people. But I think, I think they may take a little bit of a step back from that top 10 spot just because he's going, he's not going to have as much help as he did. They ran the ball really, really well. Two big time running backs. I don't think they're going to run it as well. I just, I know that they're, they feel like they're better on both lines than they were. And, and look, Mac has, has recruited really well there. Credit to him. He is, he's jumped back into this and done much better than I thought he would. And a lot of folks thought he would. Um, but again, I don't, I don't know if I would say top 10. I think that's a little steep. Is there anyone outside the top 10 that we should pay attention to? I mean, I keep looking at the Drake London highlights online from USC, and I mean, he's he's unbelievable. Um, but I don't I don't know if I want to buy into USC. Uh, LSU has to be better than they were last year, which is a disaster with the coordinator situation. Um, give me a team. Give me a team outside of the top ten. Uh, Iowa at eighteen is very interesting to me. They Tyler Goodson is, is all American talent running back. He is a he is a dynamic running back. They have probably more athleticism than I think people realize. Um, Spencer Petrus is played, you know, like I'm not ready to say Spencer Petrus is going to be a all Big Ten quarterback. That's the part where I'm like, you know what? If they're going to make a run in a Big Ten title, he's really got to upgrade his game. Uh, Tyler Lindebaum might be the, he's the best center in college football. He might be the best offensive lineman. And they have some good players on defense. And I think they have an identity. I also think that, Last year was obviously a very turbulent year, not just for the pandemic, but, but for all sorts of issues going on, stemming from the Chris Doyle scandal and mess that came out of that. I think, um, and again, you know, I, we talked about Iowa State and they got them up early, but even if they lose that game, I still think they are look. You're looking at a team that, to me, is better than 18. Like I actually feel like they could be a top 10 team this year. Before I let you go. Give me the best reaction stories, kind of just the landscape of what's a free-for-all right now with the name, image, and likeness stuff because the numbers are real for the high-end guys in certain markets, especially if you play quarterback. Um, but how are, how are coaches – like, I'm all for it. I'm just wondering, other than just coaches complaining about stuff because that's what they do, 
because that's what everybody does. They just complain about their jobs. Uh, give me some of the best reactions and maybe some of the unintended consequences or things that have surprised people throughout it. Right. I think there, and right now a lot of people are numb to it at this point. It was a big deal. Like when people were bracing for it, remember it was coming out of, I, I can't underscore enough how chaotic it was for staffs to get ready for the June recruiting month. So you had that, you had this, then you have all this conference realignment stuff. I think a lot of coaches I've talked to are just, they're kind of over it. You know, it's like one thing that has come up a bunch. Um, and I, depending on who you talk to and depending on what state their, their universities are in and how the NIL laws are written, um, how involved, if at all, could the, these universities be in helping facilitate NIL deals? Some of the um, ADs I've talked to and said, well, we can't do that. And then a few others said, well, we don't want to do that because, and I know one AD made the point about like their basketball coach was like, I don't want to deal with this in my locker room of, hey, why did this guy get this? And this guy did, and I didn't, or that kind of thing. But then you see stuff like whatever the protein bar is that uh, that BYU is now funding their entire walk-on program on. And there are places that have become much more proactive in that. And so there's that side of it. And then there's the other side of it, which is, you know, like when you and I were both around the Elite 11 like a month ago. And it felt like Spencer Rattler was already gold there. Like he was doing deals. Like you didn't see him throwing passes, but you, but you didn't. No, nope. he didn't see him throwing many passes. No, no, I know. But by the way, just on the record, what was your impression when you saw eyeballed Malik Willis in person? Well, I, I loved him. We hung out with him later that night. Um, and he was great, man. That kid is that is kid is, is funny. He's like, I don't know. I just I was really impressed with him. He was he looked like a linebacker. I mean, he, he looked, looked like, like he could be a linebacker. He looked like if he really went for it, like his frame and his genetics, he could be a bodybuilder. I mean, he was his legs You're alone. Were you not? I'm not really jealous of anybody's calves. I'm very happy with my calves in my stage. So I mean, look, he's he's a he's what he's a first round pick and he's Got twenty plus years on me. I'm I'm fine with I him having better cast. I was just saying it was like he's the guy you look at and go, whoa, that's Malik Willis. I knew he was big. I didn't expect him to be that. But again, Spencer doing deals left and right. And there's that's the other thing that has come up too, Ryan, is guys who are agents, you know, like player agents, they're involved now with players because it's like basically started, hey, we have a marketing deal. Um, you know, towards the end of that, you know, one of the things that has come up some is how like our guys signing their life away, you know, like, Hey, somebody's doing a clothing deal with this local apparel company, but wait, what is the, what exactly did you sign up for? And how long did they have your rights for? Like, I think there's some of that that is, has gotten a little bit to be a headache for athletic departments. I'm not saying coaches are really like, you know, they're involved with their teams now. I think they're just saying, Hey, to somebody in their athletic department, can you keep an eye on Johnny over there? Because it seems like he might be getting, he might be potentially getting screwed by somebody. And I think there's that. And I do think, you know, like I remember like Jack Sawyer is a big time young defensive lineman at uh, Ohio state. You see him posing for pictures with like, I don't know how, like this, this truck, I don't know, is that a $75,000 truck, whatever it is, it's a good looking, you know, <laughs> automobile. And <laughs> Back in the day, and I'm talking like last year, back in the day, 
if any big time former five-star guy posts for a picture with some shiny new thing on Instagram, people would be apoplectic because they're like, oh yeah, the boosters got to him. Well, now this is how it works. I mean, I, I defer people to this story I wrote like uh, on the eve of it where one of the coaches was like, hey, boosters can be involved now. And if, if you want to complain, you can want to complain about somebody pulling players away from us out of state. Now's your chance to step up and do something. And I honestly, I think a bunch of places have stepped up and done something because they know that I don't want to say they can get away with it. They know they can do it. Yeah, right. Better said, it's not getting away with it anymore. Um, it's, it's just, it's just doing more. And sometimes some cases just doing more of the same. That is Bruce Feldman. Read all of his stuff on The Athletic and also check him out this season on Fox Sports coverage of college football. And you can follow him at Bruce Feldman CFP. Thanks, man. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. So what's going on? Uh, I I was in Switzerland and I didn't I didn't tell anybody until I went because honestly I didn't know I was even going. I left last Tuesday and I booked the trip on Monday. Uh, I had been planning to go to the south of France now for a while. It's actually something I had mapped out a bunch of years ago, and then ESPN asked me to cancel the trip. This is years ago because they wanted me to try out not try out. They told me I was going to get the job at seven ten ESPN. And they said, just go do a week of shows with Marcellus. And I, I wasn't really quite sure I wanted to leave national radio, but there was a chance I was going to do more NBA stuff. So I was like, look, I have this trip planned in the south of France. I've been planning on doing this for a long time. I've always wanted to check it out. And they were like, look, this is really important. It'll get you to LA and um, this will be a big deal. So I was like, all right, you know what? You're right. I've been kind of flirting with this LA thing. Let me just see how it feels. Let me try them on for a little bit. And Monday, there was no way I wanted to go. Wednesday, I was like, I'm kind of warming up to this. And then Friday, I was at Manhattan Beach after my fifth show. And I was like, screw it, I'm doing it. And then I flew back to Connecticut. And I was on a Monday. I had Monday off because they gave me Monday off. And they were like, hey, take a day when you get back because we, we owe you vacation days. And I was like, all right, cool. And they were like, actually, we filled all three spots. I'm like, wait, I just told you I wanted it. You said it was my decision. They're like, yeah, some things changed. I'm like, things changed in five fucking days. And they're like, well, you know, we still owe you those five vacation days. I was like, oh, no, that's cool. Awesome. So I booked it again. And then all the COVID restrictions started jumping up. And I was like, all right, I guess, you know, I might go fishing. I was going to check out Idaho. Uh, I haven't spent any time in Idaho, really, except for a not super road trip on the way back to Bozeman once. Um, but I just, Saruti knows me. I was like, all right, let's, let's just, let's just figure it out. Let's look, look at a map here. Let's do it. And I, you know, I started looking at some stuff and I was like, maybe I will try the France thing, but it just wouldn't work. And I was like, that's it. Screw it. I'm going to Switzerland. So I had a flight out. Um, and this is funny because I'm just going to tell you how the, the trip started. I pack up the international terminal at LAX is a mess because of all the construction and I'm Delta, but I'm Air France. And so I go to the Air France terminal and they're like, no, you have to go to Delta. So I walk back to Delta. They're like, no, you got to go back to Air France. I was like, I'm having a blast. And then I walk back to Air France. So now I'm like inside the two hour window. I was like, look, are you guys going to screw me on the two hour international travel thing? Because it's happened to me before. And they were like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Show the vaccination card, you know, ready to go the whole deal. But the terminal still like, even though it's being redone and it's really modern in the areas that are open, there's not 
great signage. So I'm in the area that I think I'm supposed to be in. And then a food order that I waited 20 minutes for actually never happened. They never processed it, charged me. And then I was like, where's my food? And they're like, what, what are you talking about? So then somebody came over, gave me a refund. And then I hear my name being announced over the PA. And I was like, I don't know. And then I look and I go, which, I go, where's my gate for this? He goes, dude, you're like a 20 minute walk away. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm not going to Switzerland. Like that's just kind of in my head. I was like, I guess I'm not going to Switzerland, which in a weird way, I was kind of indifferent about, not just because of the length of the flight, because I just scored an awesome appearance fee for this thing that I really, really wanted to do. All right. Because they had called me just before I was leaving for Switzerland to be like, hey, are you available to do this thing? Um, it's with a brand that I love and I still love, um, but we'll get to that in a second. So I'm, I, I got to tell you, like, I know as I explain this, it's like, well, who are you? Like, what is wrong? Like, I'm walking through the terminal going, I'm not going to make this gate. Like, I'm just not. They're calling my name. They've called it three times. They said they're closing the door. Like, all right, I'll just take a cab. I'll go, I'll go surf for a little bit today. Like, fuck it, whatever. Like, I'll, I'll go fishing. I'll not go to Switzerland. And then I get to the gate and the door was still open. And she's like, you just made it your last person on. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm going. So get to Paris, connection over Zurich. As soon as I land in Zurich, I take a train to Lucerne, which is the first place that I want to check out. It's this incredible city that is built on this lake that has all these arms off of it. And then above the city, a very short train ride down or depending even shorter, you can walk to this other areas, this mountain peak called Pilatus, Pilatus, and it's 7,000 feet overlooking. So it's incredible. Like you're looking at these massive peaks over this little lake. So I check into my hotel, Hotel Montana, right next to the casino. And I was like, I got to make sure I stay up and get on normal time again. So even though I haven't really slept, like stay up and then try to get normal clock going, which is impossible. And I get two texts, like as I go to dinner, <laughs> it's like, Hey, the appearance has been canceled because you're coming back from Switzerland. We can't risk it. And I was like, Oh shit. Well, I would have actually not gone for this. And then a script that I had, um, with somebody who I thought was going to take it after six months was like, we're out. And I was like, Oh, sweet. Like back to back. I was like, all right, this sucks. Don't let it ruin the trip. So the next day I rent a boat with my uh, new captain's license. I'm not even sure if that was street legal, but they let me do it. And I took out a little 26 footer, I think 150 outboard and bombed around the lake. And then uh, in the same day, I was 7,000 feet above sea level there on this mountain that has the steepest cargo train. I don't know. I, I think they were just kind of telling us it was the steepest to buy a t-shirt. Um, and then you take a gondola off the backside and the views, I mean, it's so high you're above the clouds. It's, it's fucking crazy. So Lucerne was, was beautiful, really loved it. Uh, hit over to Bern, which is the capital, which is a little funkier, but not really. Cause that's the whole thing about Switzerland. Like almost everything's clean. The train thing's amazing. Like, I can't believe how clean everything is all the time. The only reason I'd say Bern is a little funkier is that as soon as I got off the train station, I'd say there was a bunch of dudes. Like if you're barefoot cranking a bottle of red wine in the middle of the day and these guys aren't real concerned with masks then you're just sort of at a different level it reminded me of certain parts of stuttgart when i was in germany when i was a lot younger switzerland actually reminded me of germany in different parts of it Bern was terrific there was actually like a little street festival that if you showed them your vaccination card and then your id then you were good to go no masks um and then i went over to uh basel which is where Federer's from. I didn't go there because of Federer, but under normal circumstances, you could walk from France through Switzerland into Germany in, in an afternoon. Uh, the Rhine River is right there. Uh, Bern, I hit up a jazz club. It's the only night that I really went out. And then I'm playing the COVID game 
where I'm like, all right, how soon do I want to get tested for my flight back to the States? Because if you get tested so early, then you're more in the clear as far. But, you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated. I'm figuring the odds are kind of low. But it's like, what if you tested positive on like Thursday of your trip or Friday of your trip? And then the rest of your trip, you're actually quarantined on top of all the other times you're trying to be quarantined. And again, not complaining if it were going to happen. Um, but I decided to put it off at the last minute and get to Zurich. And then I got to Zurich and the woman behind the counter didn't know how any of the testing worked. And she was telling me that there was no way I was going to get my results in time and that I should probably book another night at the hotel in Zurich. Zurich would have been great, but I was there on a rainy Sunday afternoon. And I'll tell you, Sundays, I don't know if this is all around Europe because I haven't been enough lately, uh, but it's just another reminder. Traditionally, like everything's closed. There aren't a ton of people walking around. And then I had a, you know, a 3 a.m., 4 a.m. wake up call to get back. I got my test back. I was negative. I was good to go. But you're still sort of like in this ink. But I'll, a couple observations from Switzerland. All right. And then I'll get to questions here. The dudes. The dudes all look like a combination of your guidance counselor in junior high, like cargo shorts, Tevas, like earnest looking folks, or an evil guy in a James Bond movie. It's fucking crazy. All is a generalization. So don't be offended, Switzerland. But it. It's a really weird combo. Like when I rented my boat from the guy, if he had told me he killed three people that morning, I would have believed him. They're like, oh, how are you? Yeah, I killed three people. And I'd be like, all right, I'm just looking for like a 26 footer here. Like, what do you got here? What do you got here that's easy to dot? Because I don't know the controls. Um, the other part that I don't know that we always comprehend is the American influence on everything everywhere. Whether it's surf pancake hut, like, you know, a place is selling pancakes. Again, it should be waffles if you're in Switzerland, but, you know, and then just call it like surf shop, you know, like surf shop. And they just would use some American term and they label on every kind of restaurant, every kind of bar and all these different things. It's, it's crazy. And then the number of Yankee hats that you would see. I, I, I mean, nothing was even close. Now, there's American sports stuff all over the place. Like I told you about that story years ago when I went to Jamaica and I asked some older guys in college, I was like, hey, what's it like when you go to Jamaica? And they were like, look, if you ever get in any trouble, although my first concern wasn't getting myself bribing my way out of jail when I went to visit Nick Grill, but they were like a couple guys get arrested. They started giving them their like one guy was wearing like a Rockies hoodie and another guy had like a, a San Francisco Giants hat on. He just started giving it to the guys and they let them out because they're so fired up to get American gear. And. The Yankees hats, oddly enough, they were never the cool ones. They would always be the Yankee hat that your really nice aunt, great aunt, who you loved to death, was like, oh, I picked you up this one. It's like a thick Velcro strip, and it's like from a brand you've never really heard of. So a lot of, I would say, second, maybe even third tier Yankee hats running around. Uh, the peak may have been, though, the Jazz Club in Basel because it was 20 people in the room, six-piece group, absolutely crush it. I'm surprised more NBA bloggers don't like jazz considering how often the guys get the rest. Um, but it was, it was the peak of the experience. I didn't get to do a lot in Zurich, but I would recommend a, it's a strong nine out of 10 because there's no ocean for people that want to visit Switzerland. So there you go. I forget how big of a central Europe fan you are. I forget you had, what was it when you were in high school, you went to Germany? Is that what you said? Yeah. I mean, this will be a story I do another time, but we made, uh, a bunch of us tried out for this group. That every four years in our high school, the arts were a very big deal on Martha's Vineyard, as you can probably imagine. Uh, I would say some of the traditional schooling. We had a banner up that said how smart our school was. And then a bunch of us went to college and we're like, do you feel like an idiot about some things every now and then? I was like, yeah, I don't know what that banner holds up anymore. Uh, but I don't know. There's certain things that I, I don't know. There are certain things that I would be like, wait a minute. Why should why do I not know that? Uh, but the arts were a big deal. So we tried out for this 
singing and dancing group. Yes. And yes. we learned we learned a comedy. We had a weird combo. We had like an old show tune called Get Happy, which you can Google. And I was I was out in front because I I I didn't have the frame for it. But yeah, classically trained voice over here, bass two, not a big deal. And then we sang this other thing called Requiem, which was pretty intense uh, uh, stuff. Our dream. No, it wasn't. It wasn't so anything that from that. Pretty intense. So we yeah we went to we went into Stuttgart and I stayed in the. Um, I stayed in Oberbeugen and I think the town was Benglingen. Yeah. Right. And I loved it. I mean, Heidelberg is probably one of my favorite places I've ever visited. And so whenever I go, like when I was in Switzerland, I was kind of like searching for that Heidelberg and I didn't really quite hit it because Bern is, is very medieval in some senses and, and it's got the Rose Garten and, uh, some other stuff. But yeah, I'm, I was, uh, I was a big fan. I'm glad I did it because I, I, this is the longest amount of time I've taken off in four years, this, these two stretches. So I went to Montana, Miami, or excuse me, I went to Montana. I would never go to Miami right now. Um, Montana, Maui and, and Switzerland. So that was the run. What was the, uh, cause you were talking, I mean, the guys you described, the guy barefoot drinking wine, probably smoking a cigarette right outside of some cafe. That's, of, that's about as peak Euro as you could possibly get. And that's a guy I strive to be. Uh, to be honest you, with you, you didn't want to be these guys. <laughs> no, no, why were they sketchy or were they just, oh, no, nothing no, going these, on? These guys were, these guys were rough. They were rough and they were hoping they were waiting for you to like, look at them. I even took a picture of them. I, you know, Probably stinky, right? Yeah. They didn't smell. Probably good. stinky. No. Yeah. They, didn't, they Did were, they know you were American too. Or is that like a, I wonder if they were like, Oh, look at this loser. Yeah. You could pick me out of a crowd. I yeah. mean, you know, I've had two hats that I wore that were both American. I, Oh, the other thing too, I forgot to pack any shirts. So I, t-shirts, shirts, shirts. I had one collared shirt that was just a a short sleeve deal. And then the rest of the time I didn't have any other like to wear at night shirts, you know? And I didn't really go out other than the jazz night because I knew every morning I was trying to like get the most out of the experience because I was trying to see as many cities as I could. And I knew if I had like a casino night till... 11 a.m. Um, again, I'm not that type to just sit there and play cards for 12 hours by myself while the sun comes up. But uh, you know, it's just going to ruin the. It's like in Mykonos, space. You know, when you're when you're leaving the bars and you're like, "What time does this party start?" And like six, it opens, but it doesn't really pick up to like 8 a.m. You're like, "All right, so if I do that, then I'm basically canceling myself out of the next two days." Uh, so you know, what was the Swiss was casino the like? Well, there was two that I went to. Um, the first one was amazing. The second one was like, Hey, you got to take your hat off. And I was sweating to death. You know, I, I went out and had some dinner, had a drink, went to this kind of street fair thing that was over a bridge. The cool thing about burn is this, this river like loops around the whole thing. So like the inside of the city looks like a peninsula and people just, the water was incredibly clear too. Like I couldn't believe it for a river that was in that much of a populated area. Um, What's Burns population? 120,000. So Zurich's 340. Geneva, I was thinking about going, but it was just too far out of the way for me to make it back to Zurich in time because it was just going to be like an all-day train thing. Not really, but three and a half hours, but whatever. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't sound like you guys are super interested in this, so maybe we uh Well, the take last this. thing I was going to ask you was, were you just like gift shop t-shirt guy? Is that what you did? Or did you like, no, nah, I got to get some like good shirts because I'm abroad? No, I didn't buy anything nothing so you recycled the same two shirts how long were you there 
I had workout shirts, but oh, I didn't I really, I only had one, okay. I only had one day to work out because it was the only gym that I found. And I actually had a, I had an espresso for as a pre-workout and I just did, they had 10 kilogram dumbbells. So we did, that was a high rep day. So you were rocking legends for like four days out of the week? <laughs> I had legend shorts on oh, okay. almost every day. I, I, I put it on, uh, I put on pants, non-jeans. I put on real pants when I went to see jazz that night. So I got to look, I got to, I got to do a lot of stuff. I went to a museum. Love a good museum. I went to a museum. Well, there was a couple of Picassos in there. I'm trying to remember the, the one that I liked the most. Um, I don't know if anybody cares, but there was also a North Korean film festival exhibit. I'll tell you right now. Okay. That was fucking weird. That was, that was some of the weirdest shit I've seen. They were showing these short films and I would sit and watch some of it. And then he had subtitles, thankfully. Uh, Did you say North Korean or just Korean? North Korean Whoa. film festival. Yeah. Yeah, Whoa. Uh, it was it was weird, and the posters were really interesting. I don't know. There's one there's one painter there that I can't remember his name, but I that was one of those pictures where it was kind of like a Ferris Bueller moment where I kept staring at. It. I was like, hey, I want to go back and look at that again. It was it was really incredible. Uh, this oil painting, but uh, you know, whatever. Super artsy guy over here. So yeah, that was the trip, and um, it didn't start off great. That's got double bad news, double barrel bad news right out of the gate. As soon as I got to Switzerland, but I said I'm not going to let this get me down. The boating part was probably. Between that or the jazz was my favorite part. I just don't understand how they, they just let you take out a big ass boat on a European question. lake. Just just like, hey, here's my here's my boating license from America. Like, cool, this is good in this is good in Switzerland. I just don't understand how that's like okay. <laughs> so good part of the you. pitch. That's awesome. Right. So part of the pitch when I got the captain's license, beyond I just wanted to get better on boats because I grew up around them and I felt like I never knew enough uh, about them. And you know, we didn't have one. You know, we didn't, we didn't have the money for that. So I I went and was like, I'm just going to take a course. I'm going to take a course here in LA. And I took a course uh, with the guys from Yachts for Fun. Hope I have that name right. And it was incredible, man. I mean, I did it private. So it wasn't wasn't the cheapest thing I've ever done, but it wasn't like crazy. If you're really invested in doing it, and then you can kind of make it back in the insurance a little bit. So I docked my first day 26 and then 30 something and then 42. And then I'm not supposed to say this, but I let's just say I took out a 52 footer on the last three hour deal. So I only have like 15 hours in me. I mean, it's a little different than like pilot's license where, you know, they keep track of that a little bit more than they do when you're on the water. Um, but they were like, look, this license now, once I passed the test and, and got the hours in, like it allows you to rent a boat anywhere in the world because you have your Coast Guard certified license for power boating and then some other certification that I, I have. So I was like, really? I'm like, that seems kind of weird. So I'm allowed now because of this license is based on the time and what boats I've taken out. Like I can go, I can take a 52 footer out in the South of France and they just have to let me because of this license. It's like, well, they definitely don't have to let you, but you are legally allowed to if the place renting the boat is like, you're good. So <laughs> I'm like, I, man. I think it's harder to drive in Europe than it would be to take a boat out then, which is kind of insane. Yeah, I, don't, I never even thought about renting a car because i remember when we went to germany when we were in high school they were like every day they're like please none of you idiots drive none of you drive none of you drive none of you drive and you're like all right no problem no problem and then i met met these older guys through my host and they all had motorcycles and then one of my friends was like can i take one out and he was like yeah no problem he went like right to the autobahn <laughs> like <laughs> immediately to the autobahn and then came back was like oh my god and i was like yeah all right. 
So we were all uh, 17, soon to be 18 there. So I don't know that we were making the best decisions. But uh, yeah, so the guy was like, hey, look, on a lake, you need a permit here in Switzerland. And he goes, and honestly, it's by lake. So Lucerne, you need a license for Lucerne. And he goes, there's people that are licensed at another lake, you know, another state over. I don't know how it's described, but um, and then, you know, he, that guy could be licensed there and we still don't have to let him take out the boat here. I go, look, I, you know, I go, you rent it or you don't want to rent it. I was totally cool about it. I was like, I could totally understand if you look at a U.S. Coast Guard certification and you go fucking beat it, dude. Um, I would have been totally fine with it. So I was like, if it's a matter of a deposit in the card, we can make it work, you know? So just let me know. Like, if you want to take out a bigger deposit on me that's fine because I'm not going to fuck your boat up. Like, even though I'm, I'm not trying to pretend I'm sitting here, like, you know, just master of the sea. I knew enough to go when I docked this and it's only a 26 foot outboard. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to screw this up. Right. I, I will, I will drift in backwards with the power off before I ram into the, well, that's dock. the hardest part, right? Like I feel like driving it, getting it out of the Harbor is probably not that hard but in a it's, lake. It's, oh yeah. It's yeah. Like, you're, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But it's, it's docking it. Like were you, was there, there had to be pressure on you when you're back. Well, how yeah, big was oh, the yeah. boat? <laughs> no, there was some or pressure. Do you just watching you being like, I can't, oh, yeah. this guy fucks up. No, I mean, there were a hundred <laughs> people watching me. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was all those things. And then they had a kid who worked for the Marina who, so anyway, he was like, Hey, let me take a picture of your license and I'll send it to the police and I'll send it to the owner of, of the boating company here. And he goes, you know, come back in five minutes. I was like, look, I'll grab lunch. He goes, if we're good to go, great. And he's like, if we're not, he goes, we have an eight horsepower that you're allowed to take out without any license. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Um, which I still would have done because I just want to go out on the water and check out this lake. And as far as I could have gone, is how I would have gone. I don't give a shit. So I came back. The guy's like, hey, good to go. You know, double thumbs up. They love giving that to the American guys. And I was like, all right, no problem. I put a deposit down and, you know, I took off. It's, it's nothing. You know, you just pay attention to the, the speed limit on the way out. And he told me where to go. I asked him if there was any depth issues. And he said, absolutely not. Stay 100 meters off the shore, which is not a problem. I thought about docking in another village, but I was like, if I do that and I have a certain amount of time. So then I come back and I was like, okay, you know, and I started like, I hadn't even think about it. Like I'm coming back to dock this and I haven't yet once ever used this boat in a docking situation. So I'm kind of like slowing down to then get, I even practiced on a, on a buoy just trying to get up to the side of it. I was like, let me stop. And I nailed the practice and then I come back in and there was like a window where I was going to nail it. And as soon as nobody grabbed, the boat and I had the fenders out too. So, but as soon as he didn't grab, I started drifting the fucking stern and it started spinning around. I was like, ah, right. And then another boat was coming in that was like 30 something foot. And I just backed out, got out of the way, waved him in and then came back in port side Saruti, nice. which was actually a lot easier for me and, uh, tied up. So it wasn't the smoothest docking of all time but considering it's my first time ever with the controls of this kind of boat and actually the thing is is anybody that knows about boating like when you start getting to the 40 foot range and they have those zeus pods or a bow thruster i mean the pods are amazing um it's actually easier with that stuff it's it's way easier than just a forward reverse deal on an outboard um especially if you don't know the boat wow so do you think you could bosun for captain lee or do you think that might be a a rough <laughs> a rough go i think i think i think sandy would treat you well but what about captain lee I don't know if Sandy would like me because I don't know if I like Sandy. I don't know you if don't I like Sandy? what she's about. I, I think she's all about teaching and nurturing, and I think that's amazing. I think um ah, Sometimes Lee's I think a she's bastard. a little full of shit. Yeah, maybe. You think Lee's a bastard? I Lee think he's a curmudgeon. I don't know. He comes in holding blank plane <laughs> tickets, and he's like, yeah, you know, you dropped a line, you're, you're on your ticket home. I don't know. 
I'll give you, look, curmudgeons, you nailed it. I do think there's a lot of not on my boat from Captain Lee. And for those that don't know what we're talking about, it's below deck. I imagine there's 2% of the audience that knows what we're talking about. Um, I There's a lot of not on my boat, and then it sort of happens on his boat because there's probably some TV producers that can just kick off everybody on the boat. I think Lee, if you work hard and he respects you, you could have a good relationship with it. I think he would know that I would work hard. My biggest issue with being on a boat at now my age with, uh, I would say, I've acquired a certain taste. I'm not living in a bunk with another dude. You're more of a that lead engineer kind of guy. Get his own bunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you could let me bosun and I'd have my own room that wasn't a twin bed. But no, that's that is not uh, that's not where I'm at right now in my life, because I've, I've had that conversation with myself watching Below Deck where I was like, you think you could do this? Uh, and first of all, I don't know nearly enough about boats that those guys do. So that's not even that's a starter. But I, the sleeping arrangements alone would be a problem. And I get really sick of at least one guy, you know, because you're on the boat with them the entire time, all those weeks. And you'd be sitting there talking about the second stew all the time. He doesn't even know that I've ever been texting with her. And I'm like, I don't really want to talk to you about. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about Alexa. I don't even know if that's the name of one. But um, yeah, so we'll leave it at that. Any other questions? I'm good. No, sounds like you had a great time. Bump for you, dude. Yeah, I, I tell you right now, I almost called that hotel in Zurich, though, to complain. Be like, tell your people behind the desk to not. Because I went there. I was like, hey, where do I go to get this test so I can get the hell out of here? She's like, oh, you missed the window. You'll have to stay another night. And it wasn't. And people are like, oh, because this because she's trying to sell you another. And I was like, no, she just had the worst information about which test. She had the wrong test. She had the wrong return times. She had no idea of the window of results. And I take a cab to the airport in Zurich to get tested 15 minutes results later, negative. Good to go. And then, you know, honestly, everybody checking into the terminal was clueless. They're like, do you have this paperwork? I was like, I don't know if you need that. And I was like, I just hope I'm on the plane. Once I got on the plane, I was like, okay, I'm going home. I read Greg Allman's biography too, My Cross to Bear. What a rock star that guy was. We're going to do a Greg Allman recap of that book coming up on a slower pod. Uh, probably not after week one of the NFL. Next summer when you're off, we'll do, <laughs> we'll do that author week part two. Yeah, we're not going to have Greg Allman on. Uh, unfortunately, Greg passed four years ago, but it was uh, it was a good read. He shot himself in the foot to get out of Vietnam. I did not know that about Greg Allman. All right, that was talking Switzerland. Let's do life advice. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over ninety five live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like you should gain season, throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app.
You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Another edition of Life Advice. Uh, we get a couple here that I really like. So let's start with this one. It's a little international. Um, and it's asked, uh, the question is simple. Worst date, how to end it early. Hey, guys, hope you're well. 6'3", 198 pounds. I love playing ball. Currently playing semi-pro ball in Holland. I'm Greek. You know, my rule Sick. with the semi-pro thing is some of you actually are playing semi-professional basketball. Um, and I've met a lot of guys that said they did. And I'm like, do you play in just sort of like a men's league with uniforms and stuff? Or, you know, because I've had a few people really gray the area around semi-pro and what it really means. But if you're Greek and you're living in Holland, I'm going to say you're legit. And if you're listening to this podcast, it means you probably really like basketball. So I'm going to, you check out on this one, but I, I'm just, for our female listeners, if you meet a guy that plays semi-pro and is, you know, maybe get a summer tryout with somebody, yeah, follow up with him six months later and ask how that NBA summer league went that he didn't get invited to. Uh, but not our guy. We're going to we're gonna back him here. All right, 6'3", we said 198. Last Friday, worst date of my life. My question is, at which point in the date would you tell the girl she needs to leave? I met this girl about a week ago. I didn't like her. But she DM'd me a couple times, and even though I was not attracted to her, I had no plans on Friday, so I invited her to my place to watch Netflix and have a drink. Well, you already kind of, it's just your fault, first of all. You didn't like her. You had nothing to do, so you couldn't be by yourself for a night. Sounds like a young athlete, if you ask me. Um, but anyway, um, you give it a shot. So from the get-go, the date was bad. I'd listen to her mundane stories, and every time I tried to say something, she'd interrupt and make fun of me. At some point, I'm like, fuck it. And I go for it. Okay. Um, so obviously she's attractive and you're just being a, a guy and, and saying, hey, Friday night, I have nothing else to do. Um, she stops me, right, from kissing. She says it doesn't like kissing because it makes her uncomfortable. And she's, she's not going to sleep with me. Okay. All right. To be honest, I couldn't care less. Um, you really like her, man. I can't believe she turned you down. Uh, but then she proceeds to climb over me and cuddles me. At that point, I'm thinking this is getting weird. Um, look, you know, respect to her. She didn't want to go there. She just met you. She shows up at your house. Uh, you know, you give it a shot. It doesn't work out. You hang and now you're cuddling. I think this is part of like, she obviously likes you to some degree to come over to their house, but you know, she just wants to make sure it's not just about that. So that's where the cuddling, that's my translation on this, on this deal so far. Um, so then as they're cuddling, it starts acting tired and start ignoring her. And she tells me I need to go to bed. I nod and proceed to get ready for bed. While I'm doing that, she asked me if I have comfortable clothes for her to sleep in. I really wanted to tell her to leave, but it was midnight. So I let it go. We went to sleep. She wakes up at 6 a.m. complaining that it's cold, which kind of pisses me off. Eventually, I wake up at 9. So she woke up at 6. You stayed in bed another three hours. He says he goes to wash the glasses from last night. I try to be as loud as I could so that she wakes up. I go to my room where she's chilling and I tell her I need to go because I'm going to go grab breakfast with a friend. Um, instead of leaving, she finds a comfortable spot on my couch and chills there for 30 minutes. Side note, basketball related. I remember once in my early 20s, I, in the middle of the week, told somebody I had a men's league game. And she was like, on a Tuesday morning? I was like, yeah, it's pretty intense. I did not have a men's league game. <laughs> um so I go to my room where she's chilling and I tell her I need to go because I'm going to grab breakfast with a friend. Instead of leaving, she finds a comfortable spot on my couch and chills there for 30 minutes. I tell her I have to go. She ignores me and asks if I have any cereal. I am very patient in general, 
but she's really pissing me off to the point that I text my friend to call me that I'm late for breakfast so that she leaves. She doesn't bat an eye, so I actually tell her she needs to go. She says, I'll leave in 10. So she's calling the shot. She's taking over your house. I go take a shower, ask if we leave together. We get outside. I ask her which way she goes, and she says that way, and I say I'm going the other way. The date was just terrible, and I feel like shit because she made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, I also... I would have also liked to have been more authoritative telling her that she could not stay over. At which point would you guys have ended the date? Have you ever been in a similar position? Uh, look, there, there's a lot of guilt, um, I think, all over the place here. I mean, you're being honest with yourself, man. You invited her over. You probably thought it was um, it was not going to go this way. And then when it didn't, you know, it sounds like you're okay. You're like, fine. So it didn't work out for you. But like, you have to understand that that's on you. You invited this person who you don't even know over to your house. And then she wanted to sleep over because she obviously liked you enough to want to sleep over in the first place. And there were probably a series of tests that she was putting you through to just see if you were nice and whatever. And if you could make it through this next night, then maybe else something would happen. But that's never going to happen because you never liked her in the first place. and You like her even less now. Um, and I don't know how she feels about you. She hasn't emailed the show, obviously. I don't think there was a comfortable moment, though, to be like, hey, get out of my house. I just don't think there was because. If it's not going to go the way you want it to go, and then you're like, get out of my house, you're an even bigger dick. Um, and I, I think you just look at this as a bad night. You got to know her even more. You like her even less. You're never going to see her again. And there you go. That's it. Lesson learned. Done. But if you do end up on another board night a couple of weeks from now, maybe with a couple Belgium micro brews in you, and say, hey, come on over. And it goes just as bad again. Now you have absolutely no one to blame but yourself. Um, but the next morning, hey, do you have cereal? Hey, I'm not going to leave. All that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, people are different that way. But it does seem like she kind of wanted to test you and see how accommodating you would be with different scenarios. And you kind of passed in a weird way. So she's probably going to hit you up again. Um, but it's 100% your fault if you ever meet up with her again. But it was also really on you that she was there in the first place when you had really no intentions of of wanting to spend more time with her than that night. So I think you kind of, you got to look at it that way. You got to take some ownership of this. It's not that big of a deal. It's not the end of the world. You're not going to see this person again. So don't do it again. Kyle? I agree. Like, I think once it gets to a certain hour or two, he said he invited over to watch Netflix. It's like, oh yeah, big fucking secret there. But it's probably already nine o'clock or something. And it sounds like by the when on the exit route that they were like, oh, which way are you going? Which means that there's probably like a walking situation, which means it's probably a city. So if it's like, if you're thinking about booting her out at 1230 in some sort of city, like that's probably uncool. So I think you just got to sort of gauge like what time is it where it's going if you're not sure what the sleeping plans are. But you should have been thinking about that before it became uh, too late to uh, to boot somebody out in the uh, wee hours of the night, I think. I mean, yeah, you, right. I know but, people but, that do it and they don't care, but I just, I can't be that person. It sounds like you can't either. So good on you. No. So some guys, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable how, how quickly they can just be like, all right, you know, there's no sleepover. Like you're out of here. Uh, that's a, that's a rare trait to be able to pull off. It just is. Um, it's, it sounds like this guy's he's kind of a dick, but he's also too nice in a way, you know, either commit to one or the other, either be a yeah. dick or be, or be super nice. And you were kind of towing the line the entire night. And then next morning, if you wanted to leave, tell her to leave. But you know, you were kind of trying to like, you know, I guess like move her along in the direction that you wanted to go into. I, I just, you either have to be a dick or be nice. And you can't, you can't sit on the fence on this one. 
Great observation, Saruti, because I mean, it is it is tough to cuddle and then also do a late breakfast the next day with somebody <laughs> that you couldn't stand prior to any of that anyway. So, you know, and honestly, but, at that point, I think you have a right to be a dick too. like, you know, I don't know. What do we do? Let's move this thing along, especially if it's 9 a.m. and you got stuff to do. Yeah. Day. In the morning, he could have he could have done the hard six o'clock wake up. I think it I sounds think like he, tr- he tried to, you know, but some people like to sleep in. I mean, that's always. That's always a weird deal. I'll never forget. I mean, again, this is a long, long time ago. I think we're still talking the 90s. And my roommate was talking to somebody and they, you know, ended up meeting up and she spent the night and we like almost finished our day before she finally left. Like she just lounged in his his bedroom and she slept till like one or two. Like we left, we worked out, ran errands, like shopped starting to make dinner plans like hey what are we doing tonight and then i was like what is she still here like what the you have to be kidding me and then it was like hey it's already tomorrow night like is there anything we need to call anybody like what's was she like what are we doing yeah let's go let's get after it (laughs) yeah yeah like you guys are quick shower and (laughs) i'm just gonna hang here all right um i think i think we got that one from from all angles i don't expect that guy's gonna be super popular with some of the feedback here but at least he was honest so let's uh, let's allow that to to you know, at least be part of it. Okay. Um, okay. Here we go. Checking in from Winnipeg, six feet one ninety five. Oh, he's giving us some pre and post bench stats. Two seventy five now after the lockdown. Two twenty five. That's all right. You'll get it back fairly quickly. Two seventy five is great for one ninety five. If you can figure out that back pinch thing that guys are doing, less range of motion. Get a few more reps out that way. I was messing with it this morning. I think it's too late for me. I can't really get it down, but I was watching some guy do this video. Like he's basically showing you here are the different ways you can have a much higher max bench. And it was, it wasn't like cheating because it's legit, but it's sort of like cheating because it makes it easier. And then some of you guys that are doing this rainbow deal with your chest and your waist and like the rep comes down four inches and then you rack it and post it on Instagram. And you're like, all right, dude, come on. And it's like dunking on a nine foot hoop. Been like sick. Um, all right, here we go. Love the show. Been with my girlfriend four years, live together, have a dog, a COVID puppy, rescued him from his shelter. Couple heroes right here. Our relationship is good. We still vibe and everything. All right, four years still on the vibes. Terrific. Uh, but the things that drive me crazy are that she spends beyond her means. I currently work in tech and I'm working from home. So she constantly gets packages delivered to the house. Now, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind her spending her own money, but she's racked up a couple thousand dollars in credit card debt. We talk about saving for a house. She had packages from uh, Nordstrom and other places at all the department stores show up to the apartment at least once every two weeks. Once every two weeks actually doesn't sound terrible compared to other situations that I've seen, but I get it. Like whatever your means are your means and she's racking up a couple thousand dollars in credit card bills and she's not paying it down every month and is carrying it over, then that's a problem, Kyle. We already... There's a touchy subject weeks ago on the podcast. So I don't want to bring that up again. Um, I'm getting to the point where it's starting to bother me, but I don't know how to address the issue. Any help would be appreciated. Love the show. All right. So here's the deal. If there's one thing that I've learned, and if you look at how certain things happen with retail, and it was something that I wish I had just, you know, there were certain financial bets that I wanted to make during the initial COVID part of this, where you're like, okay, what stocks are going to soar? What's going to take off and whatever? And then, you know, when the market was down 30%, some people were just, active and and made money on that way. But the Amazon thing now in retrospect that we saw what happened the last year, plus it made all the sense in the world. 
because even though there was a concern long term what was hacking, happening economically, um, the stimulus check thing, depending on what you qualified or not, like I don't know that that went into the the uh, the piggy bank for a lot of people. I think it was looked at as like this discretionary income where if you looked at a lot of not just the luxury items, but the secondary shoe market, we've touched on some of this stuff before, but there was all this people were just buying a ton of shit online, man. And part of it is boredom. Part of it is, hey, I'm actually, even though long term, not sure what's going to happen to me financially, I'm getting some bumps here and then now in the short term. And I know that when I was younger and had no long term plans financially, like you just kind of look at it as extra money. You don't look at it as stability, which was really the point of the whole thing. But I'm not judging because I just I'm admitting I think any of us that are being realistic about what happened with a lot of the money, it was just, hey, this is actually great. It's supposed to make me feel so I don't want to turn this into some big fucking political thing about Rosillo dumping on the stimulus checks. I'm just telling you what was a very obvious observation about what was going on um, with a lot of the different parts of this economy. All right. So when you look at like Amazon stock going crazy, you're like, oh, wait, they're on fire because I mean, ask people that deliver stuff like anybody that was showing up and be like, how are you doing? Be like never been busier. Right. All the delivery. I've never been busier. You start looking at companies that make cardboard boxes like they're all on fire. Like people are looking like, how do I get into cardboard box manufacturing? Because now everybody's just ordered because it's also therapeutic. And so, you know, when people talk about retail therapy, like it's a real thing. And I, whether it's the actual endorphins of of hitting check me out, you know, after you put all the stuff in your cart or the weird void that having a package can fill which I know can sound insane, but I think it actually does apply to a lot of people. It'll even happen with me at times where I'm like, oh, hey, I haven't bought anything in a while. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order this thing that I've been thinking out or whatever. And then it's like, okay, cool. I have this thing. And then it's like, okay, now I'm going to check the fucking track, tracking every day. Like I'm actually doing something and I'm not doing anything. The package is going to show up when it shows up. And then when it shows up and you open it, you're like, all right, fine. And then most of the times you just kind of set it down. And you're like, all right, now I have this thing that I went ahead and bought. Like you have to be aware of these things and figure it out. But the reason I'm telling you this whole thing is that that could be a big part of this. It could be. It could be one that she's a disaster financially. I don't know that. Um, you don't know that. It could be that coming out of COVID, she developed this habit of filling some sort of void by ordering stuff all the time. And I don't know, you know, obviously what Canada was doing so stimulus wise. Like, let's not even go there. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about it because I've read zero articles about it the entire time. All right. So what you have to figure out at some point, because like, it's not great when your partner sucks with money, man. It's not. Um I was a partner that had no money <laughs> when I was when I was in my mid 20s and somebody wanted to marry me. And I'm thinking like, I don't have like I, I have times where I don't have a thousand dollars to my name. All right. And this person wants to marry me. I'm like, what a what a disaster she must be. Right. And that's kind of how I would look at it. Um, I would have figured it out eventually. But, you know, I've had different scenarios like, look, I, I haven't lived with anybody. I'm not serious to the point of this where I have to start worrying about can I save for a house with the other person? But all of this is a drag, all right? All of it is a drag. And some of my friends have ended up in marriages where I don't know how you address it, but it's not a great thing to let linger because then it turns into some resentment. And even though you can say, hey, we're in this partnership and we're raising a family and we're doing this all together, I think human nature allows you in some moments being like, I'm the one making all the money and this other person spending it on shit all the time because most of the stuff doesn't mean anything. And as somebody who's had to pack and move up a lot over the last few years, there is nothing worse than taking inventory of all the shit that you've accumulated and been like, you know what? I didn't need almost all of this. 
I really didn't. And it was even funnier when I first moved to California because all my shit was still in storage because the house wasn't ready. I lived out of two bags for three months and I didn't even notice it after a while. I didn't <laughs> even notice it. Now, now, look, I don't want to be some minimalist and live out of two bags. Uh, I do like some of the stuff that I have. But like that's that's one of those things that whenever you're thinking about buying a house in the next purchase, and you actually start doing inventory of all the stuff that you've bought. You're so annoyed with yourself because you're like, you know what I didn't need? is the white version of the orange hoodie that says positive vibes only. Like I didn't need a white one also. So that was a bit more of a rant there. I probably didn't offer you much advice. I'm just trying to give you some root causes of why somebody would start ordering more and more stuff because I think in COVID especially, look, there was retail therapy for years going on before that, but in COVID, it cranked it up for a lot of people. And now it kind of fills some sort of weird void of like this odd thing that you're doing like oh hey i have this package coming in friday so we're gonna make sure this this and this and then when it opens up you open it up you put the shit away and then you're like eh, all right so um there might be a nice way to talk about it if you plan on saving for a house together but if you don't address it maybe it was just covid related and she grows out of it or maybe next thing you know you're looking at credit card bills that really prevent you from qualifying for the kind of loan that you want which is not what anybody would want out of a partner kyle a, that was great. I could put that in the open if you want me to. I can just stitch it in the front of the podcast. Quick 10-minute open. Uh, two, what? About <laughs> yeah, so long? Yeah, yeah. It's a great. That was a great open. Um, two, is, is, is the credit card hers or theirs or it doesn't matter once they get married because it's like all merged anyway? Because um, if he can't even see what she's going, what she's racking up, and he just kind of catches catch a glimpse at two thousand, he catches another glimpse at thirty eight hundred, and he's like, "Holy shit!" Now it's been three weeks since then. I can see how that would make you sick to your stomach, but you should be able to talk to her about stuff like this, especially if you approach broach it as like a team thing. I don't know. I think girlfriends always like the prospect of like building stuff and doing stuff. So I mean, you might be able to approach it in, in like a fun way, and then be like. So where are, we at, where are we <laughs> at with our debts? <laughs> why are you Why are you buying shit from Nordstrom all the time? <laughs> no, not like hey, that. But like you know, you talk a about fun exercise. You want to stop buying shit? <laughs> <You're> talking... <laughs> no, but like you're talking about like you know things in the future and what you need to do and what and you know maybe like talk about some bullshit you need to handle and be like, so how are we doing like with your credit cards? I'm down to like eight hundred bucks. Like where are we at? Just take an inventory here. They could be like, oh, wow. I don't know. No, I think, it is uncomfortable. I think, you're right, Kyle. I think you're right because I think you got to say, hey, make this about you as a couple moving forward saying, there hey, you go. We, wa we want this house. Like, I just want to make sure we're in a position where we can be strong together as we move forward as a unit. But here's my question because I'm confused on this. They're not married. Are they married? Are they dating? Four years, Are they engaged? Girlfriend, four years. So, and then he says, I work in tech and working from home. She, con she consistently gets packaged. He doesn't say anything about her working. Okay. Um, he goes, I don't mind her spending her own money, but she's racked up a couple. All right. So I think, I think I know the answer here. I mean, it sounds like she is just waiting until you guys get engaged and you're married and you can have one bank account. And she's really not worried about what her credit card looks right, like right now. That's what I would say. And honestly, if you guys are heading that direction anyway, it's probably fine. Um, it's still worth a conversation worth having, but I would imagine she's, if, if engagement and marriage is on the horizon, she's okay having a couple thousand dollars of credit card debt on there for a while. Yeah, I mean, she could be. I mean, that's that's something else you'll do when you're not always great. But like sometimes you'll pre-spend what you think you have coming in, mm -hmm. uh, which, again, I remember being like that. You know, like I remember going like, oh, I have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday shift this weekend when I have a double. I was like, oh, I'll make like, you know, whatever, 
And then you're just like, all right, cool. That's like free money. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible way to think of money. But again, the reason I understand some of these things is I've made all of these mistakes. Uh, if I, if I, if I had clear sailing from 18 years old, when you get that first Amex with a $500 credit limit at college, and then you get this plane ticket, which is hilarious because you're like, well, whatever, it makes sense. I have a free round trip ticket. It's like, dude, you can't afford anything once you would land. So I never used the voucher on anything anyway, because I couldn't afford to go anywhere. And then of course I immediately racked it up. And then guess what Amex did? Didn't send the bill to the dorm room. So I was like, oh, that worked out great. You're like, no, it doesn't work out great. They find you. And, you know, that's kind of dumb shit that I learned because I was the oldest and I, I didn't know. I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. I, I probably should have known better, but I didn't. And that's why I think, you know, so th this advice was more about, like I said, trying to understand maybe why she's doing some of this stuff. And maybe it's a, a part time learned behavior and coming out of everybody reacting to what we all went through in the world in a very, very different way. Um, but, you know, I think. Kyle made a really good point, like address it as this partnership moving forward, marriage house, like let's go over our fan. You know, that's actually the back way, back door way of doing it. Don't start with this, get to it at the end. Be like, Hey, look, I want to start Zillow pouring it up. We're probably a couple years away. Let's make sure when we're ready to make the decision in a couple of years, down payment, what we qualify for, what kind of rate we're going to get, you know, what our, what our full approval is. Let's get all of our finances in order now and start talking ourselves through it. And then magically, guess what's going to come up? The credit card bill. Um, don't be an asshole about it. Be like, okay, look, we need to clean this up, right? Are we in agreement? And when she says, yeah, we're in agreement, then maybe the problem is solved. And then if a bunch of shit from Nordstrom starts showing up again and you're like, is there a third season scarf that you really needed? Now you realize you have a bigger problem and you're going to have to address it a bit more sternly or break up and take the puppy. That's a bummer. Right. Yeah, no, we don't do that. You, you guys can get through this. You're from Canada. I believe in you. All right, uh, that's life advice. Make sure you subscribe and listen to every episode of the Ryan Russell podcast here as part of Ringer and Spotify.